What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? I was reading this old story about a bank robbery that happened in 1995. So this guy walks into two banks, one after the other. He has no mask and no face cover. I mean, it didn't seem like he was trying to hide himself. And he gets caught on camera pretty clearly. And so obviously he's apprehended not long after that. But the weird thing is, when the cops come for him, he was totally baffled. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Well, he kept saying, I was wearing the juice. (laughs) The juice. Well, apparently he'd poured lemon juice all over his face because he knew it could be used as this invisible ink for writing. And the poor guy, he was really bewildered because he'd said he'd tested it out. And the cops pressed him for details. And he said the lemon juice had gotten in his eyes the first time when he poured it all over his face. And then he took a selfie to see if it had worked. And the combination of squinting and not being accustomed to taking his own photo, I mean, this this was 1995, well, it made him take a photograph that he wasn't in. <laughs> and he just believed that he was invisible. Oh, no. I know you almost feel bad for the guy, but, you know, reading up on his invisible face juice made me wonder, <laughs> what is the science of invisibility? And what are some of the things going on that we can't see? And where is my invisibility cloak? So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hotikader. And over there on the other side of the glass, with the biggest smile that you can't see, is Tristan McNeil, our producer. And on today's show, we're taking a whirlwind tour of our invisible world and trying to get a better grasp of all things unseen. You know, the idea of invisibility has fascinated mankind for thousands of years. It's parts of our myths and our folklore and our pop culture and, you know, even our psychology. And, of course, there are lots of different kinds of invisibility. So this will be a super fun hodgepodge episode where we cover as much as possible. We'll talk to a couple of insightful authors who've devoted years of study to stuff we can't see. So who do we have on the line today, Mango? 
Today we're talking to Bob Berman, one of America's top astronomy writers and author of a brand new book about the curious history of invisible light. It's called Zapped and it's incredible. And we'll have some wonderful quizzes along the way as usual. All right. So in honor of Bob's new book, I want to dive straight into the science and talk about light and more specifically invisible light. You know, obviously there are large portions of the electromagnetic spectrum that we have no trouble observing, but there's also a huge part that's totally invisible to us. That's the part that includes things like ultraviolet light, infrared light, radio waves, microwaves, x-rays, gamma rays, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I always knew there were parts of the spectrum beyond our range of vision, just like, you know, how there's sounds outside the limits of human hearing. But reading Bob's book put the vastness of light in a completely new perspective for me. And it really blew me away. So Berman writes, there's more light in the universe than anything else. So if you were to add up every individual light photon in the cosmos, they would account for 99.9999% of everything there is. And those forms of invisible light you listed off that actually makes up the vast majority of the light. I actually can't wrap my head around that fact. That I just know. seems unbelievable. But, you know, our eyes are designed to recognize only the sun's most abundant energy. So we really can only see the colors that the sun emits most strongly. And even though the whole universe is light, the bulk of it, it's completely invisible to us. We've actually figured out all kinds of ingenious ways to measure and observe forms of invisible light. And one of the most interesting things I came across while prepping for this episode was the way human observation actually affects the behavior of light. All right. Well, I think this is pretty complicated. So why don't you break it down a little? Well, when quantum theory became all the rage in the 20th century, scientists started noticing something super weird. They found that when they used special equipment to pinpoint the location of photons, these tiny bits of matter always behaved as particles. For example, they could pass through one tiny hole or another in a barrier, but not through both holes at once. All right. So far, so good. And, and particles do what particles do. <laughs> I don't think there's anything weird about that. Right. But the scientists also discovered that when they didn't try to determine the exact location of each photon, the photons behaved as waves instead of particles. So the photons were then able to pass through both tiny holes in a barrier at the same time. And that's something that only waves can do, not particles. Okay. All right. I spoke too soon. That's <laughs> really weird. And so you're saying that light photons and other subatomic matter act like particles you know, when they know we're watching and then like waves when they know we aren't looking. Yeah, it's something like that. So obviously the photons themselves aren't aware of us watching them, but they definitely seem to act differently based on how closely we observe them. And the best explanation, at least according to most physicists, is that when we look closely, our brains halt the wave pattern so that we can see the photon in a certain place as a particle. It just makes us feel better that way. That's really insane. All right. So where does that leave us? Does light exist as a wave or as tiny bits of almost invisible matter. Yeah, it's both. So Bob Berman sums up the paradox this way, and I'm going to quote him here. He says, Just a century ago, the local realism mindset of science and even common sense held that all objects, including atoms and photons, have an existence independent of our observation of them. But that's been replaced by a more modern view, that our observation itself is necessary for the very existence of a photon or an electron, a spooky prospect. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so he continues, it possessed no real existence as an actual photon or electron or whatever it was. Rather, its observed existence is its only existence. The observation establishes reality. Nothing else is certain. Oh, that's pretty trippy, Mango. Yeah, the stuff feels so philosophical, and, and especially when you go from a micro perspective to a macro one, because just like with photons, the color and brightness of light doesn't exist outside the experience of the observer. We only see light as a certain color because of how it stimulates the cones in our eyes and how our brain interprets those signals. 
Well, that's a good point, but it's also kind of a terrifying mm-hmm. one. I mean, it means the external world is really just as invisible as a UV ray because outside of human observation, there is no color or brightness. It's just this mix of different invisible energy pulses. Actually, by the way, and this is off topic, but did you read about the women that supposedly have four cones in their eyes instead of three? Mm-mm. And as a result, they can see hundreds of millions of colors. What? That's so wild. Yeah, they're called tetrachromats, but maybe we're clinging too tightly to the human experience. You know, I actually did some digging to see if there were any animals whose vision best ours in terms of light perception. And it turns out there are quite a few that put the invisible spectrum to pretty good use. Awesome. So give me the lowdown. Well, one case where plenty of animals have a speed is the ability to perceive ultraviolet light. The invisible UV radiation is all around us. And while it's useful for getting a golden tan, it's also a menace because exposure to it can lead to melanoma and other illnesses. But that hasn't stopped some animals from making the most of UV light. There's some species of birds that have plumage that, you know, to our eyes look the same between males and females. But if your vision allows you to see the UV range, like those birds are able to see it, you know, you'd be able to make out the UV markings that distinguish them. So those markings make it easier for the birds to find a mate? Oh, definitely. But that's actually only part of it. Some other birds determine which chicks to feed based on how much UV light, you know, their heads reflect. For whatever reason, the hardier birds tend to have a shinier crest than their weaker siblings. So when the mama bird has limited food to share, she'll go with whomever has the most shine. (laughs) There's also the fact that urine and feces of mice and other small prey are visible in the ultraviolet range. So birds that are sensitive to UV light can use these traces to track their prey, even in a place where everything is uniform in color, you know, like a green field or something like that. But, you know, birds aren't the only ones that can do this. You have rodents and bats and even some marsupials that can see UV light for similar reasons. Hmm. So I actually think I read something about butterflies also having great UV perception. Mm -hmm. I think they use it to identify which flowers are currently producing nectar based on like the color of the petals or something. Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because butterflies with a high sensitivity to light are often considered to have the widest visual range of any form of wildlife. Hmm. It's crazy the invisible world might be the most visible to butterflies of all things. But before we move on, there's one last animal I want to talk about, and that's the reindeer. <laughs> so I, I'm sure there's a Rudolph joke in here somewhere. But, Let's uh, not tell it. <laughs> but reindeer can see UV rays? Well, it sounds strange at first, but reindeer have evolved to take full advantage of the ultraviolet range. And they're not the only ones. There are other Arctic mammals who make their homes at the Earth's poles, and they have to deal with much higher levels of UV light. Yeah, the thinning ozone layer doesn't block as many rays as it used to, especially in those upper latitudes. Yeah, exactly. So there was this study out of the University College of London and the University of Tromso in Norway, and they found evidence that not only are reindeer resistant to eye damage from intense UV rays, they're also able to see UV light. And this helps them find food and avoid predators. And in the winter, reindeer primarily do two things. They eat lichen, and they try to avoid being eaten by wolves. And (laughs) wouldn't you know it, lichen and the fur of wolves both absorb UV light. So because snowy landscapes strongly reflect UV rays, you've got reindeer that can spot lichen and wolves with ease. Yeah, that's really cool. And while I think you and I could nerd out on reindeer facts for a while, like how – 
Norwegian scientists wanted to get closer to reindeers so they could study them better, so they wore polar bear costumes. <laughs> and did that work? No, not at all. Like, it scared off the reindeer. But they also wrote a scientific paper on reindeers' reactions to costumes <laughs> and were hoping to redo the study with better costumes. Oh, yeah, like, like a clown costume. I like how they just went off track. They were like, that didn't work, so let's just do costumes. How about clowns? How about police officers? Science is great. But what I was saying was, I think we should shift the topic a little. All right, well, what do you, uh, what do you want to talk about? Secret messages. So last year, a group of scientists in France developed a special kind of paper that can carry secret messages. It looks just like plain old paper, but you can use different wavelengths of UV light to read, write, or even erase the messages that can't be seen in visible light. So how does that work? So apparently the paper has this special kind of molecule bonded to its cellulose fibers that reacts and turns fluorescent when exposed to UV light. The idea is you can write messages on the paper using a stencil to produce dark and bright areas that react differently under the UV lamp. But the really cool thing is that the process is completely reversible. You can expose the used paper to a shorter wavelength of UV light that erases the message completely. And that way the paper can be used over and over. I mean, that is kind of cool, but what's the advantage over, you know, the disappearing, reappearing, invisible ink that our kids play with and stuff like Mm -hmm. that? So why is this better than that? So not only are the messages on this paper undetectable under visible light, they also can't be dissolved with other chemicals. So it's this super useful tool in anti-counterfeiting and tracking operations. Ah, good job, France. You know, I actually want to dive into some of the historical obsession with invisibility and the ridiculous potions humans used to make. But before we do that, how about we check in with Bob Berman and see if he can tell us a little about the cool properties of light and how humans have managed to turn something invisible to our advantage. So in this episode on All Things Invisible, we've been talking a little bit about this great book, Zapped, and we're really lucky to have one of America's top astronomy writers on with us and the author of this book. It's Zapped from Infrared to X-Rays, The Curious History of Invisible Light. Bob Berman, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Well, thank you. Great to be here. All right. Well, let's just start with the basics. So can you explain to us where light comes from? Well, all light, except for gamma rays, comes from one source only, and that is atoms. If the atom gets excited in any way, electricity, collisions, anything can maybe excite an atom. So if the electrons, or in the case of hydrogen, it's only got one electron, jumps to a higher orbit because it's excited, It really doesn't like to be there. So in a fraction of a second, it'll tumble down closer to its nucleus. And that is what causes any kind of light. And the distance that it tumbles down determines the color of the light and therefore whether it's visible or invisible. So I know you talk about this in your book, but what did ancient people think about light? And were they aware of invisible light? They thought about light as, at first, something that comes from the eye and then later on as an interaction between a beam from the eye and external objects. So they got it wrong for a long time. They realized that it involves something with a very fast speed, but nothing more than that. And nobody foresaw invisible light until the time of the Renaissance of the Middle Ages. It was one of those things that no wise person or Greek philosopher or scientist or religious order, nobody came up with the idea that there might be kinds of light out there that our eyes can't see. Well, in the Renaissance, as you mentioned, you know, with this idea of invisible light being a possibility, how did this start to be discovered? Well, it was really William Herschel who found the first kind. 
He projected sunlight through a prism, piece of cut glass, onto a tabletop, so you had the whole rainbow of colors. And then he put a thermometer in each color, and he had other <laughs> thermometers on the side in the darkness to act as controls. And so he noticed that when the thermometer was in the blue or the green part of the spectrum, the temperature went up at very little. In the yellow, it went up more. and the red, it went up still more. But then he took a break, and when he came back some minutes later, the sun had moved across the sky, so the spectrum on the table had shifted, and now his thermometer on the table was no longer in the visible light. Instead, it was sitting in a spot of darkness outside of the spectrum, just beyond the red end of the spectrum. And he looked down on it, and now the thermometer was crazy. It was, it had re it was registering much more heat than any color did. And so he repeated this, and he realized that the blank spot beyond the red part of the spectrum was heat, was producing more heat. Well, he realized it had to be an invisible kind of light that was creating the heat, and he called these calorific rays. Later on, we came to call it infrared. So that was the first kind of uh, invisible light ever discovered. Wow, wow. And you also talk in the book about the discovery of, of x-rays, and I'm curious what the, you know, the public response was to this discovery. Well, x-rays, yeah, that changed the world, too. That was Renkin, and uh, he was, boy, he had fame, and he would have had fortune, too, if he had patented it, but he didn't. Uh, generously just allowed the world to use it. And almost right away, people realized the value in, in medicine, that you could use x-rays and find a bullet where a bullet was in the body for someone who had been shot or where broken bones were broken. And But nobody knew at the time that x-rays also had a dark side, that it could produce harm as well as benefit. What new opportunities for the use of invisible light are on the horizon in things like medicine or technology or culture? Well, everywhere. You know, we use that more than visible light these days. Everybody knows about microwaves and used in for uh, not just our ovens, but for broadcasting on the GPS signals that come down to us from the radio part of the spectrum, really the microwave part of the spectrum. So whenever we use our GPS in our cars or when, when we're on a camping trip uh, or use our cell phones, those are all parts of the, the radio spectrum. And then we know about the infrared. We use heat lamps. We use garage door openers that are that are using uh, infrared and ultraviolet. That's boy, that's the one with the uh, two-edged sword. Ultraviolet mm -hmm. is both the most dangerous form and the most valuable for our health. And what makes UV rays so harmful to us? Well, they're the beginning of the part of the spectrum that has the power to ionize, in other words, to strip electrons from atoms, and therefore to change genes, to change chromosomes, to alter DNA, and that could give rise to cancer. And it does. The 8,000 or so melanoma deaths per year, skin cancer, are caused by generally too much UV, usually from, from, from a bad sunburn in our youth. And... Uh, and that's why people nowadays know that they should be putting on sunscreen and wearing hats and stuff like that. But bad things happen from that, too, in that we've now blocked so much of the UV 
that strange things are happening to our bodies that that most even doctors are not aware of, although many are. Hmm. Like 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 what? Do you do you have some examples of this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this has started. If, if I could give just a bit of background, there was a time, of course, when we were an agricultural society and we were out doors a lot and we got plenty of sunlight and therefore plenty of ultraviolet, which is a, a few percent of the sunlight and it stimulates our bodies to produce UV, uh, a vitamin D very quickly. Uh, that UV induced vitamin D is such a avalanchingly fast process that we get more UV from 20 minutes in the strong sunlight than you would from drinking 200 glasses of milk. Mm-hmm. So somehow our bodies want lots of vitamin D production from UV. It's a natural thing. But as we moved indoors to be a manufacturing society and then starting in the 50s and 60s had air conditioning so that we didn't have to open windows and glass blocks UV and so it blocks the vitamin D production on our skin. And then, worst of all, this is something that the Vitamin D Council talks about a lot because the doctors there like John Cannell like are really getting frustrated with the fact that we've turned into kind of a, a race of, of, of mole people where we're blocking the sun entirely and not getting enough sunlight. They see it that it wasn't that many decades ago that kids after school, of course, during school, they're not getting any UV and therefore not producing any vitamin D. But after school, kids used to play outdoors. And parents used to say, yeah, come back at dinner time. Mm-hmm. And in between, they'd be out doing whatever, on the playground or climbing trees. And then that changed. So their UV levels and their, and their blood has dropped to uh, really, really low levels. So what does this do is uh, turns out that UV is one of the strongest preventers of cancer. It stops cancers from growing. So when they're tiny, pre-detectable tumors, they don't get any bigger. This year, for example, it was found that pancreatic cancer is uh, prevented by, by, by adequate uh, vitamin D triggered by uh, ultraviolet light. Wow. So there are a lot of health benefits, also uh, psychological benefits in terms of uh, treatment for depression and, and things like that. If you get enough sunlight-induced uh, vitamin D. Wow, it's hard to strike that, strike that perfect balance. No, you're so right. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to burn. So the people like uh, Dr. Cavell and the Vitamin D Council, they say that we should get as much sun as we can without burning. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> yeah. really as simple as that. Don't burn. Because everybody's so different in how much sun they can handle right. before they start to burn. You know, blue-eyed, blonde people tend to burn faster and can't, shouldn't get as much. Well, there are a thousand other questions we could ask because this is such a fascinating book. I hope all of our listeners will check out Zapped. But, Bob, thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission.
Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the peculiar allure of turning invisible. So, Mango, we mentioned at the top of the show that humans have been obsessed with the idea of invisibility for millennia. So I thought it might be fun to take a look at some of the weirdest attempts to go invisible that people have tried all over the years. Yeah, so I, I'm definitely game. I spent some time looking up medieval recipes and spells to turn yourself invisible. And as you might guess, they're insane. So one of my favorites is from the Ashmole, which is this uh, anonymous 15th century manuscript that collected over 180 magical and non-magical recipes in English and Latin. So this is the invisibility spell. It goes, if you wish to be invisible... Take a dead dog and bury it and plant a bean plant over it and Ugh. place one in your mouth. And without a doubt, you'll be invisible. Oh, that, that's it? That's the whole spell? <laughs> it's simple. It's like one of these great invisibility life hacks. But um, <laughs> but don't worry. If you're fresh out of dead dogs or beans, there's another suggestion for you. Um, this is also from the Middle Ages. Grind up an owl's eye with a ball of beetle dung and some olive oil and rub it all over your body. I like the addition of the olive oil. It's like weird <laughs> stuff. And, you know, just put some olive oil in there. That, I think think I'd rather eat the dead dog bean, actually. Uh. <laughs> so why do they all have to be so gross? So most invisibility charms had ties to occult practices, so they tend to feature nasty ingredients like the eye of an ape or a heart of a bat or whatever. And one of them actually calls for the head of someone who committed suicide, but stuffed with fava beans. Good God. <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine why any of these ingredients were picked to be the ones that would turn you invisible. But I don't know, and thinking about it, it might have something to do with our desire for power, which seems to be at the root of man's continuing quest for invisibility. I mean, we have stories going all the way back to antiquity that point to the dark side of going invisible. Yeah, so there are all kinds of myths and folk legends that warn about the corrupting power of invisibility and how it can lead even the most pure of heart heroes into recklessness or voyeurism and... 
Well, you know, these commonalities between fables from different cultures, I find these fascinating. In this case, they seem to suggest that we all know invisibility is a power that we probably shouldn't have. And, you know, it doesn't stop us from wanting it, though. And, and in fact, the top two superpowers that people always cite as the ones they'd most like to have are the ability to fly and the power to turn invisible. Yeah, so both of those provide the user a crazy amount of freedom. And maybe that's why we find them appealing. You know, that could definitely be the case. But in keeping with the shady side of invisibility we've been talking about, there there might be another explanation. And I couldn't find an actual psychological study of this, but there is some speculation about what the choice between flight and invisibility says about a person. William Berry, who's this psychotherapist and professor at Florida International University, he suggests that people who opt to go invisible are embracing their dark side. You know, the side of themselves that they typically don't like to acknowledge as being part of them. So this is the side of your psyche where all your most shameful thoughts and desires dwell. According to Barry, quote, many of those who choose invisibility do so to hear what others say about them when they aren't around or to spy on others or to procure things that they don't have the money to pay for. It's easy to see how this relates to the dark side. Yeah, it really is, especially when you compare it to choosing flight, which is mostly appealing as this form of fast travel or experiencing this different sensation. But it doesn't seem to have any of the darker edge. Right. And, you know, Barry found that people who choose power of flight generally see it as a way to add excitement or fulfillment to their lives, whether that's from, you know, maybe rescuing people from burning buildings or just zipping across the world to have dinner in Italy or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. You know, there's another commonality between invisibility fables that we should probably talk about. All right. And what's that? Invisibility cloaks. So uh, (laughs) ancient Greek myths described caps and cloaks with magical properties that made the wearer invisible to other mortal men. And from there, invisibility cloaks have popped up in everything from Welsh and Germanic folklore to modern day pop culture, of course. And I'm guessing being a big fan, you're thinking of Harry Potter? Definitely. So uh, Harry Potter is never far from my mind. But scientists have been hard at work on cloaking devices for a while now, things that can mask or completely hide an object or a person from sight. And some attempts are more successful than others. But all of the most promising ones involve something called metamaterials. And is this, you know, some kind of super science cloth or something? Mm -hmm, More or less. So metamaterials are basically a kind of material that's engineered to have properties that uh, that don't occur in nature. And in this case, it's a light bending property that manipulates the eye. So the reason objects are visible to our eyes at all is because objects distort light waves based on their shapes. But when the light from an object reaches our eyes, we see the object by recognizing those distortions. All right, so metamaterials, they they somehow counteract this, or how does it work? Yeah, so the idea is that the metamaterial forms a kind of shell around the object, or a cloak. So the light rays bend smoothly around the metamaterial and recombine on the other side. And one helpful example I came across is that it's kind of like water flowing around a rock in a stream. A viewer on the far side wouldn't see anything unusual, but both the metamaterial shield and the object in its center would be completely invisible to him. It would look like the light's bouncing off a smooth surface. Which is pretty cool, but I don't know. I have to say, I've read so many headlines over the last few years that claim we're this much closer to a Harry Potter-like invisibility cloak. And, you know, there are definitely some similarities to what you're describing, but it's hardly a one-to-one. I mean, I mean, natural materials get their special properties from the arrangement of atoms, and there's no way what's going on with these metamaterials is the same thing. Yeah, that's true. And these cloaking devices are more like chunky rings and pyramids that fit over a stationary object right now rather than any sort of sleek piece of fabric. But the technology is advancing pretty quickly. Well, I'm glad to know uh, that we're on our way toward that. But why don't we break for a little quiz? 
All right, so since today's show is about invisibility, we decided to bring on two Seattle-based artists who produced a delightful art series that only shows up when it rains. Welcome to the show, Peregrine Church and Zach Fisher. Thank you. Great to be here. I am so excited to have you on. And and for you listeners who aren't familiar with Rainworks, you should definitely check out the photo gallery at www.rain.works because it's fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this idea of making invisible artwork that only shows up in the rain? I love thinking of ways to use uh, materials that already exist in ways that they shouldn't be used. And I came across this stuff called super hydrophobic coatings. Basically, when you put it on a surface, it keeps it from getting wet. And I thought, wow, that's super cool. You're watching all this water roll off these clothes and shoes and whatever. What if you put it on something that changed color when it got wet? like concrete. And so you, since it's a spray-on thing, you could spray it through a stencil onto concrete. And as long as it was invisible when dry, you could create art that was only visible when the surface was wet. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the designs you do and how you make them interactive? Uh, sure. We like to do things that are positive, things that will make someone's day better. That's our really one of the big motivations behind it. Because uh, in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest in general, people tend to suffer from sad seasonal affective disorder. The skies are gray and it's dreary and wet all the time. So we figured we could take that thing that causes the dreariness of the rain and use it to make people smile. We did a Loch Ness monster at a at a dock out in over a lake <laughs> here in Seattle, Green Lake, so that people could stumble upon the monster while they were out on rainy days. We do games sometimes. We've done like a don't touch the lava game. Um, we've done, like, nostalgic references to, like, characters that we love as, like, when we were kids. So, like, we've done, like, a Peter Pan rain work and, like, a Calvin and Hobbes rain work. Basically, just whatever we think would, like, cheer someone up or make them smile or make them think when they see it. That's funny. I mean, even hearing the examples makes you smile. That's pretty great. And you've now turned this into a business. So I mean, what are the best applications of your rain works and, you know, that you've seen in the wild now? Oh, man, we've seen so many from all over the world. Some people have done, like, prom proposals or actual wedding proposals with them. <laughs> uh, we've seen people use public fountains to make, like, dolphins that appear. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. There was one just, like, a day or two ago where they coated a canvas with it and then threw water balloons with, like, water-based paint in them to do a gender reveal. Right, Zach? That was what that was? Yeah. Yeah. They, that kind of worked a little differently because... Our spray doesn't repel paint, but it, like, reacted with it in a certain way. So it does kind of make the letters pop, but, like, not in the way you'd expect. It was really interesting to see, like, a new application for it. <laughs> and that's really been the coolest thing is, like, just since this started, it's really taken off just all around the world. And we get, like, new ones popping up in, like, Denmark and, like, Taiwan and, like, Armenia. Does having worked on this project make you look forward to rainy days? Like, do you sit on benches waiting for people to interact with the art? Oh, absolutely. It has completely changed our uh, perspective on rainy days. And one of our favorite things to hear uh, when we tell people about this project is them, the words coming out of their mouths. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait till it rains now. Like, that is means the world to us. That's so cool. We've become so hypersensitive to it that... Every time it starts to rain, they're like, the forecast predicts rain. Like, we're, like, on the edge of our seats. Like, we're preparing. We're making fresh <laughs> rain work. <laughs> our, our whole work schedule depends on the weather. 
for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your connection with the Awesome Foundation. Sure. When uh, I had this idea, it was just an idea like on a note in my phone for a long time, but it was one of one of my favorites, and I started mentioning it to people, and eventually I mentioned it to a friend in Seattle who was part of the Seattle chapter of the Awesome Foundation. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the Awesome Foundation is an organization that every month donates $1,000 to a person with a cool idea, or an awesome idea, as they put it. No strings attached. So I submitted this rain-activated art idea, what we now call RainWorks, to the Awesome Foundation, and they accepted it. And that was what really gave it the first push. All right. Well, I thought uh, we should play a little game with these guys. And Mango, you came up with one that's appropriate. From what what game are we playing with uh, Peregrine and Zach? Today? It's called "I'm Only Happy When It Rains." All right. We love your rainy day project, and we figured we'd give you a quiz where all the answers involve rain, and you can work together on this. Uh, so, you guys ready? Okay, ready. All right. We got I five. Love it, I got five questions for you. All right. Number one. Gene Kelly had a 103-degree fever when he danced the big number in this rainy movie. What classic film are we talking about? Singing in the Rain. Yeah, Done. one for one. Number two. Prince's manager questioned the decision to put When Doves Cry in this movie slash album because the song didn't have a bass line and he didn't think it would be a hit. What Prince movie are we talking about? Purple Rain. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Number three. All these pop culture references, I'm depending on you, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) He's really pulling through. All right. Number three. During the filming of this award-winning movie, both Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman thought the flick would be a clunker. The whole time they referred to it as two schmucks in a car. What movie are we talking about? Wait, I got this one. Uh, Rain Man. All right. Peregrine with the big answer. Here we go. (laughs) Number four. Before this actor won the role of Dwight Schrute on The Office, Seth Rogen had auditioned for the role. Who are we talking about? Oh, Rain Wilson. Wilson. Yes, Mm -hmm. they both got that one. All right, the last question. See if you can get the perfect score. Number five. This song, written by Paul Schaefer and performed by the Weather Girls, was intended to be a gay anthem, much like YMCA. Do you know the name of the song? It's Raining Men. Yes. Hallelujah. All right. How did they do, Mango? Uh, our pals went astounding five for five, which means we'll be sending them our top prize, a handwritten note to their mom or boss singing their praises. Congratulations. Uh, woo. Thanks so much. Awesome. For, yeah, that's awesome, guys. My boss. That would be great. <laughs> Listeners, please check out Rain.Works when you get a second. And thank you guys so much for all the work you do and for putting smiles on so many faces. Thank you. Thank Bye. you very much for having us. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. 
AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, Will, so we talked about fictional invisibility cloaks as well as the closest things we have to real life ones, but there's one more thing I want to talk about, and it's the psychological sort. Kind of a psychological invisibility cloak? I don't even know how that would work. Is it like a helmet that would block your brain waves or something like that? Yeah, that, that's a good guess, but no, nothing like that. Okay. I'm actually talking about the great study I came across about a phenomenon called the invisibility cloak illusion. And that's a name researchers at Yale University came up with for our mistaken belief that we observe others way more than others observe us. All right. So this is kind of like us pretending that maybe we're under invisibility cloaks when we're out in public, if we're out you know, grocery shopping or walking our dogs or something like that. Exactly. Pretty much any time we're in public, really. So the team describes it this way in their abstract, quote, whether at a coffee shop, in a waiting room or riding the bus, people frequently observe the other people around them. Yet they fail to realize how much other people engage in the same behavior and that they, therefore, also are being observed. Because it's logically impossible that people, on average, are the subjects of observation more than they are objects of it. The belief that one watches others more than one is watched is an illusion. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I mean, we feel like we're invisible when the fact that we observe others should tell us just the opposite of this. And I really can't understand why we make this silly mistake. Is it just that we're egomaniacs and you know we think we're the observant person and the only observant person in a room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But at least there's a good reason why we think that way. And why is that? Well, the researchers at Yale concluded that social norms compel our neighbors to pretend to be busy with something else if it looks like we might catch them watching us. <laughs> All right. So we've secretly scoped out the competition at a job interview or glanced around the waiting room at a doctor's office. And you know, just in case we need an alibi, we have a magazine or something like that. It, it's funny that we all assume we're the only ones who do this, though. <laughs> right. So when it's actually so widespread a phenomena that it even has its own name, researchers call it civil inattention. I kind of like that. Yeah, but my favorite part of the study is this line from the conclusion. However irresistible the sensation of being invisible may be, it is not to be trusted. <laughs> that sounds exactly right. And it actually makes me think of this uh, this other study I read on the logic of the game Peekaboo. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it's this great display of the kind of nonsensical logic that most kids share. You know, namely, the idea that you can make yourself invisible by just covering your own eyes. So the study was what? Like scientists rounded up a bunch of toddlers and had this epic peekaboo session? I mean, not exactly, but but kind of. <laughs> they, they, uh, <laughs> so the researchers at the University of Cambridge had a group of three and four-year-olds wear eye masks. 
And then they asked them whether they could be seen by researchers or if they were invisible to them. Then they asked the kids whether the researchers would be able to see adults if those adults were wearing eye masks like theirs. And unsurprisingly, nearly all the kids said they were hidden from view while their (laughs) eyes were covered. And most of them actually thought the eye mask would make the adults invisible, too. Which is super cute. But did the researchers have any ideas for why almost every child subscribes to that weird logic? Well, actually, here's where things get really interesting. And it's because when kids had their eyes covered, they felt invisible, which mm-hmm. fair enough. I mean, I think we've all heard that before. But the researchers started to press them on what invisibility meant. And surprisingly, the kids conceded that their bodies weren't actually hidden at all in this experiment. Wait, wait. So they admitted their bodies could still be seen even when their eyes were covered? So what do they mean by invisible? Well, that's the weirdest part and where this gets a little deep here. So the implication was that the kids felt it was their true self that was being hidden from view. So basically they were saying, I know you can still see my arms and my legs and all (laughs) that when my eyes are closed, but you can't see me. Which is, uh, which is pretty existential. It's yeah, pretty I know, I know. It's, it's like the children share some natural distinction between, you know, the physical body and the metaphysical self. And I just find this stuff fascinating. And, you know, because most adults tend to think of their consciousness and their body being joined together in some way. And studies like this suggest that perception might be something we only adopt or maybe decide on later in life. Yeah, that's especially interesting when you think about how people always say the eyes are the window to the soul or that eye contact fosters understanding. I mean, in in some ways, covering your eyes really is like withdrawing yourself from the world and making yourself invisible. All right, well, Mango, you need to keep those eyes open because there's only one thing you can't hide from. The PTG fact off? Exactly. All right, here's something I hadn't thought about. Any light beam weapon you see in the movies, from photon torpedoes to invisible rays, they're all things you won't see coming. So anytime a sci-fi hero is in a jet dodging those rays, none of that's possible. Do you know that? Some of the things you see in movies, they're not I think you possible. just ruined all movies I for did. me. I did, yeah. <laughs> so want to know a figure who's basically become invisible? Jeremiah Dummer. Most people know Yale University is named for Elihu Yale, but Dummer probably did more for the early university in terms of securing funds and building its reputation. The problem is Dummer College isn't a great name. While reindeer are good at spotting polar bears, cameras aren't. So when scientists decided to use infrared cameras to locate the bears, they were stunned. Because polar bears are basically invisible to infrared cameras, too. While cameras can pick up the heat off their nose and their breath, their blubber basically does such a good job of trapping the heat within that their fur is essentially the same temperature as all the snow around it. So despite all the safety features in cars with backup cameras and beeping sensors... People still back up into lampposts. So researchers at Kyo University in Japan have come up with uh, back seats that actually turn transparent when you back up. Basically, it's a backup camera that projects on the seats, but it does the trick of seeming transparent. And, of course, making the children sitting in those seats disappear is another matter. (laughs) Definitely. All right, here's a fun one about not being seen. A building supervisor in Spain skipped work for six years and kept collecting his salary. You know, the only reason he got caught People got suspicious when he won an award for 20 years of loyal service. (laughs) In 2006, magician David Copperfield and his two assistants were walking down the street when muggers approached and demanded all their money. And while the assistants forked over plane tickets, cell phones, and over $500 in cash, 
Copperfield used sleight of hand to show the gun-wielding robbers that his pockets were empty. He re-performed the trick at the police station and wowed the officers, <laughs> showing them he actually had a passport and lots of cash on him the whole time. <laughs> what a rascal. I know, he's such a performer, but he did help catch the bad guys, and, and I kind of love it. <laughs> All right, well, in that case, I'm going to have to give you today's championship belt. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Gary Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.